Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Java junkies, welcome back to another episode of T4C. Are you interested in breaking into a civilian job working for the U.S. military? Then this is the episode for you because my next guest is a financial planning and analysis professional with the U.S. Navy, where he works on a team to manage multi-billion dollar budgets to keep America's Navy first in class. But before I introduce you to Brett Bergen, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays with unique insights into dozens of different industries from the professionals who are working in them. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Brett Bergen, a financial planning and analysis professional for the U.S. Navy, specifically with the Navy Sea Systems Command, also known as NAVC in Washington, D.C., When Brett joined the Navy back in 2010 as a civilian business financial manager or government acquisition professional, he was responsible for working with a technical and business leadership team in the financial planning, analysis, and execution of a multi-billion dollar budget for U.S. Navy acquisition programs across multiple fiscal years. Since November of 2019, Brett has been a financial planning and analysis professional working with a team to manage multi-billion dollar budgets for the U.S. Navy's radars, electronic warfare, and lasers to keep America's Navy number one in the world. He also spends one week every fall to recruit students at his alma mater, Penn State, and They are recruited from almost every major in GPA for thousands of civilian positions that support exciting U.S. Navy programs all across the U.S. In addition, Brett channels his passion for education into an organization he founded in 2015 called the Wise Man Institute. To date, the course he's created and he's created one, I'm going to tell you about another one, have taught over 5,000 students in 123 countries how to crush their high school, college, and graduate classes. And now coming up in the fall of 2020, Brett is launching a brand new training called Mega Mind, which is a complete guide to acing online classes. You can find more details at GetMegamind.com. 
Megamind.com. We're going to be digging into Megamind in our main Time for Coffee interview, so please check out show notes for this episode to see if Brett's main Time for Coffee interview has already dropped. Brett, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Andrea, thank you so much for that warm welcome. I am caffeinated. I just had some iced coffee in preparation for Time for Coffee. I love and, it. Um, <laughs> thank you. And I also just wanted to mention, in typical government fashion, as a federal employee, I just have to make that disclaimer that you know I'm here representing myself today. So I just have to say upfront that all thoughts are my own and not as a representative of the U.S. government. Absolutely. We have taken note of that, and we will look forward to hearing so many of your insights into how to build a really fascinating and fulfilling career on the civilian side of the U.S. military. So here we go. Let's dive into our 10 espresso shots with the first question being, what entry-level jobs, Brett, are available for young people who want to break into this field? So it's probably best to start by dispelling a common myth, which is you don't actually have to join the military to work for the U.S. Navy. So if you think about it, sailors operate ships in their systems, but where do those ships, sensors, weapons, and other really cool stuff come from? And at Naval Sea Systems Command, or NAVSEA, we have over 80,000 military and civilian personnel from every field work together to design, build, deliver, and maintain U.S. Navy ships and their systems. And every year, we hire college graduates and experienced professionals in engineering, accounting, and finance, like myself, programmers, cybersecurity professionals, people in contract writing, legal, human resources, mathematics, and science, and really all fields that you can think of. And we hire more engineers than anything else. And we need engineers with a variety of strengths. So engineers with great hands-on skills, but have GPAs in the sub 3.0 range, even down to a 2.0, get hired all the time to build, repair, or modify the world's biggest toys. And engineers who learn more, or I should say lean more academic, graduate in the top of their class, that kind of thing, they're, they're maybe better suited for more lab-based advanced research. So there's really something for everyone in FC. Terrific. What kind of entry-level jobs are available for someone who's just graduated? So all of those fields that I mentioned, engineers, so if we just talk about engineers in particular, one thing I always ask engineers who I talk to at the career fair, I say, hey, what kind of work are you excited about? Do you want to put on steel-toed shoes and get greasy? Do you want to blow things up? Do you want to build things, repair things? Do you want to work in a lab? Do you want to do data science? We hire for all of it. We blow things up in Indian Head, Maryland, right around Washington, D.C., and other testing grounds. That always gets people's attention. You know, we fire electromagnetic railguns and lasers at a few other sites. Headquarters where I work in Washington, D.C., is for more program manager-leaning engineers and other business staff and HR. And we really have, we run the whole gamut. And engineers who are more interested in on the ground, repairing ships, designing ships, building them at the shipyard or at a Navy yard. We have locations in, let's see, over 30 activities in 16 states and around the world as well. So even Japan and Spain. So there's a lot of opportunities to work in a variety of fields for entry uh, level graduates and also locations. So maybe you don't wanna work in DC or a big base like Norfolk or San Diego. But we even have places in Crane, Indiana, and in the Gulf. We have Florida, all up and down the East Coast and West Coast. 
there's really something for everyone. And if you're not an engineer, we have positions for really everybody that I mentioned before as well, whether it's accounting or finance, cybersecurity, programming, legal human resources, everything under the sun. We need them. Awesome. And we should let our listeners know, Brett, that we're doing this interview towards the end of July. Of course, the coronavirus has been around now for six months or more here in the U.S., let alone in other countries around the world. And how has that affected hiring within the civilian side of the U.S. Navy? I'm not really sure yet. So we really kick off a big part of our college hiring, at least in the fall. And I have not heard anything yet about what we're going to do. I think it's going to be driven in large part by how universities actually plan out their fall career days. And, you know, we're just going to go with the flow. So if universities tend to do or decide to go with online format, probably be in that format. If they have something on site, we may be sending representatives. I probably won't be there just for the health risk. But we have some other brave souls who I know will be happy to go back to Penn State and recruit. Got it. So, Brett, what is a useful hard and soft skill that you look for in the young people that you hire at NAVC? So I'd say myself and really all the recruiters are looking for one soft skill in particular. So the spoken and written communication skill is absolutely critical across NAVC, no matter if you're an engineer, if you're in a business office or, you know, especially HR or legal, if people don't communicate well, it could lead to costly mistakes or even put lives in danger because of what we do. For hard skills, I'd say if you're going into an office environment, you absolutely have to know how to use Microsoft Office, like Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. And for engineers, you really just need a good foundation and a knack for engineering. And most of the hard skills you learn are expected to be learned on the job. Terrific. What about someone's major? You have now mentioned engineers many times. Is it a deciding factor to get into the civilian side of the U.S. Navy? And is there a particular major that you would say, don't even think about applying? So for an engineering position, you absolutely have to have an engineering degree. Depending on the type of position, they may even take industrial engineers, which is sort of more like process engineering. But for other positions, they may need something more like a traditional engineer, especially an electrical engineer. But for some of our office positions, you can get away with just about 24 business credits. And some other positions accept students from any major without any business credits. And one of the best assistant program managers in my office is actually a history major. Amazing. So liberal arts degrees are fine depending upon the role. Absolutely. Just not engineering. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I totally do not want a history major repairing planes for sure. <laughs> Brett, what about a graduate school degree? And this is less so for those entry level positions and more so for somebody who wants to make it up to the more senior jobs in the profession. I know you have a grad school degree. You got your master's of science in applied analytics. I don't know if you felt you needed that because of the work you were doing or if this was just something that interested you. And which degrees, which master's degrees do you think are the most useful ones to have? While you don't need a graduate degree, you'll be encouraged to pursue an MBA or technical graduate degree at some point in your career to advance. 
the Navy is responsible for very expensive, very complex ships and systems. So we put a high value on higher education. And I was fortunate enough to be able to get that master's degree that you just described from Columbia University, which was fully funded by the government. But it wasn't just a blank check. I did have to make a case for it. And in our case, I work on the business side of the house. And we're currently looking at data management and digital transformation, you know, how to streamline our business operations. And this particular degree, it was actually the only degree at the time that I could find in the entire country that was specialized in turning giant enterprises, or I should say transforming giant enterprises into data-driven organizations. And so the Navy agreed with that and thought it was valuable, and I have been advising ever since. Oh my God, your entire grad school degree was paid for? Paid for in full, except for there were three times I actually had to go to New York, and lodging was not covered, books are not covered as well, but tuition is. Oh my God, that is incredible. What a huge benefit. Absolutely. And another great benefit of the government is you can also get an incentive for tuition repayment. So if you join and they really want to keep you and you say, hey, if you want to keep me, I'd like to you know, sign an agreement to stay on board. You know, I promise to be on board for a little bit longer, you know, at least a year or two if, if you help me repay my student loans. And depending on the year and budget available, you might get up to, you know, say, 10000 bucks a year to help pay your student loans. We also have some really great scholarship opportunities. One is absolutely incredible. I know your listeners are probably towards the end of their college experience, but even a junior could apply for this. But if you're a freshman, you have hit the gold mine. It's called the Navy's SMART Scholarship, S-M-A-R-T. And if selected and you're in a STEM major, the Navy, at least at the time that we're doing this podcast, the government will pay for your whole tuition, I think up to 25000 a year, and give you a stipend, cash, 25000 to 38000 a year in addition to that. So you can get your entire undergraduate degree potentially paid for, plus another 100000 or more in cash stipend, and you get guaranteed internships every summer, and you get a guaranteed job out of college as long as you meet the requirements of that scholarship. Um, it's an absolutely incredible opportunity. I didn't believe it. I said, no, absolutely. When I first learned about it, I said, no, absolutely not. I, I must be misreading this, misunderstanding this and no kidding. It's for real. And how many of these are available every year? I'm actually not sure. I've talked to students about it. I've learned about it, but I've never followed up to see how many students go through the program. Okay. But I know that we have an insatiable demand for STEM majors so what STEM is, is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So people in that field, they're really sought after. And we hire so many people, I would speculate there are quite a few opportunities for students to get this. And when I say we hire quite a few people, when I go to the Penn State Career Fair, people ask me, oh, how many open positions there are, expecting to hear several, which is typical of most employers. The last time I went, we were hiring 2,000 students. So people's eyes pop out of their heads. And we just need so many good students. It's, you know, and we're competing against so many uh, companies in the private industry. We really go out of our way to do everything we can to get them. Well, in this coronavirus world, I would think jobs like this would be worth their weight in gold. So we'll try to make sure to include a link to these scholarship opportunities 
in the show notes for this episode, Brett. That's a great idea. Brett, what kind of life experiences, so those experiences we have outside the classroom, do you think are most useful for someone who's starting out in this field? You absolutely need to know how to successfully work with people of diverse backgrounds with NAFC. So that includes diversity in every regard, like age, ethnicity, and even class. And so you really just need to know how to work well with people from every walk of life. When I first joined NAVC, it was the first wave of younger professionals coming in because typically government employees know that they have it pretty good. And so they stay with the government really until they retire. It's just a really wonderful opportunity because it is one of the few places where you get to work on something really meaningful, you get paid fairly, and there's a pension for you if you make it to the end of the rainbow. So it's a really great place to be and really no opportunities were available for quite some time until my class started to graduate. And then a lot of folks have been retiring and a lot of new people coming on board. However, there's still a significant skew to the older age range. So being able to work successfully with people of Generation X and the boomers and for Generation Z listeners, for millennials, you know, it is all pretty essential. And there definitely are differences and those differences, you know, should be not just tolerated, but celebrated. And it makes life more engaging. And I know for a lot of my fellow graduates, they went into these companies like maybe Ernst & Young and some others where they were just surrounded by people their age the whole time and, and didn't get that experience. But it is a bit different working where I work because we have people from really every single walk of life. Fantastic. Brett, what is the best part for you of working at NAVC? Hands down, it's our mission. No question. So we're all part of something so much greater than ourselves, and we're working towards a common purpose of protecting our country and really every sailor risking their lives for the same thing. And that just makes it worth coming to work every day. Doesn't get better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what about the flip side? Every job out there, and certainly during the coronavirus, these are extraordinary times. I know you are working virtually. So many people who wouldn't usually be working virtually are doing so. What would you say the part is of your current job as a financial planning and analysis professional for the Navy Sea Systems Command is the part that sucks the most? So it's the same every year. If political deadlock was ever frustrating to the common person, try having it being part of your job. (laughs) So we have to wait for the Senate, the House, and the President to all agree on a budget before the start of each fiscal year to receive new funding. And like you said, I'm a financial planning person, so that makes life tough. So they almost, I don't know if you know the history, but they almost always, without fail, pass a budget three to six months late, sometimes longer. And the workarounds and drills we have to do multiplies our workload, sometimes fivefold. And I'm not exaggerating that figure. And it squeezes whatever budget we have on hand and puts our project schedules at risk. So that is absolutely by far the thing that sucks the most. I am familiar with that because... <laughs> and we're both from the DC area. <laughs> yes. And for six years, I headed up the policy and advocacy team for Global Humanitarian and Development Organization. And one of our biggest objectives every year was trying to influence the foreign aid budget. And that's not in the military's budget. That is on the civilian side. And 
my goodness, it is a huge lift every year to get that across the finish line. So I can totally feel your pain. And I think it was even, I hate to say it because I don't mean to diminish the pain that you went through, but we all knew the military budget was going to get approved. On the civilian side, not so much. Yeah, that is definitely one benefit working in defense. It is sort of a sacred cow. And there are pluses and minuses to that. One plus is when you work for defense, you can depend on that budget being passed. Even if it isn't what you wanted, it's going to be a priority over others. Yeah. So three final espresso shots. What is the best career advice you've ever gotten, Brett? Everyone listening should watch the TED Talk by Carla Harris about the importance of having a sponsor at work. A sponsor is someone who at work really just believes in you and will fight for you to be recognized and promoted by decision makers behind closed doors. And hiring and promotional decisions often come down to balancing merit with politics. And if you don't have someone to fight for you during those conversations behind closed doors, the truth is that others do and you will be passed up. So be sure to develop at least one strong relationship with a colleague with pull in promotion decisions at work. I love it. And I will make sure that we include a link to that TED Talk. Sounds good. Brett, what movies, if any, and oh my God, have there been a lot of movies about the U.S. military or Hulu, Netflix, Amazon shows or books, do you think accurately depict this profession? So this is a really tricky one. And I'm really glad you gave me this question in advance to think about because I really had to rack my brain. But I think that the 2012 movie Zero Dark Thirty most closely portrays a really big side of our culture. So there's this constant dance that plays out between everyone's passion, as well as the scientific and intelligence evidence that we have access to, and just the bureaucracy before we make big decisions. And we make big decisions every single day at NAFSI. In the movie, it was about finding Osama bin Laden and being sure it was actually him before sending in a risky maneuver with Navy SEALs to go grab him. And so for NAFSI, it might instead be something like deciding the design and capability of our next nuclear submarine, because it means whatever we do, we're going to be locked into that design for the next 20 to 40 years. So whatever we figure out, it better be able to meet the mission for the next half a century. And that is pretty stressful. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That makes me with my little problems seem so unimportant. (laughs) I can't even (laughs) imagine being locked in for up to 50 years on a particular design and then the billions of dollars that ends up going into building a Navy ship, let alone the other very technical equipment that you have. You mentioned the radars and other weapons that are built. Absolutely. It is a very expensive proposition, very important decision that has implications for years to come. But so far, the Navy has been doing a really great job at it. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Brett? I'd say at least two things. The first is what I said in the beginning, which is you don't actually have to join the military to work for, or I should say, or work for a contractor like Lockheed Martin to work for the Navy. So I'm a federal government employee where, you know, so many of us are federal government employees. Some of us were military in a previous life, but many of us like me were not. So believe it or not, a lot of people actually have trouble wrapping their head around that. And I'd say second, we have a lot more offices everywhere 
than people would expect. And I mentioned this before, we have over 30 offices spread across 16 states and around the world where both military and civilians work side by side. You don't have to work in Washington, D.C., or like I said before, a major base like San Diego, California, or Norfolk, Virginia, although those are really great spots. And most of our locations, like I mentioned, are up and down the East Coast and West Coast, even my hometown of Philadelphia in the Gulf. Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, yes, it is still there. It was rebuilt. (laughs) (laughs) And there are even opportunities to spend some time in Japan. We have a huge base in Okinawa or even Rota, Spain. And actually, one of my good friends just moved to Rota, Spain. That's the southern coast of Spain. We can't get much better than that. And he just moved there for NAVC for a couple of years to be a test engineer, all expenses paid. So I think if it wasn't for the coronavirus, because Spain got hit pretty hard too, I know he was planning to do quite a bit of travel around Europe, although Europe is starting to look pretty good. So he's probably uh, dusting off his travel pack and and getting ready. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Blowing the dust off his passport. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Brett is launching a new training this fall called Megamind, which is a complete guide to acing online classes. You can get more details at Get megamind.com. Brett, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. This was just wonderful. Thanks so much, Andrea. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.